Now, when people experience propinquity, for example, that feeling, oh, I am connected with this person, that, that not only often gives a positive boost of feeling, the positive affect, but it helps relationships, the connection that's there. If people feel that what they're doing in their work is a calling like it's meant to be, and for me that 6th of June thing and feeling I was on the right track even though I'd been through a depression, that good would come out of it, that helped me be very engaged in my work for future. So that helped me get more engagement in my work, the E from PERMA, but also a greater sense of meaning and also achievement. Welcome to the PS Younger Self podcast, where we talk to inspiring entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and creatives on how we can all crush our fears and optimize our lifestyle to live our most fulfilling lives, and always on our own terms. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining me for another episode of PS Younger Self. I'm really excited to dive into our topic today with our guest who is joining us all the way from Australia. And he is one of the dreamliners at our recent Dreaminar Summit last month, who spoke about the positive psychology of synchronicity. I know personally that there is coincidence and then there are meaningful coincidences, which is what synchronicity means, and that it can have a profound impact in helping us gain deeper understanding of our soul's destiny. So please meet Chris Mackey. He is a clinical psychologist and the author of the book, The Positive Psychology of Synchronicity, where he draws on his 40 years of experience in psychology and case studies to illustrate how synchronicity can act as a guide in our life path. He was also the recipient of the 2019 Australian Allied Health Impact Award for his clinical research, media involvement, and for authoring the aforementioned so welcome, Chris. Thank you so much for joining us all the way from Australia. Great to speak to you again. Hi, Chris. Good to be with you. Yes. So let's dive right into it. In your book that I'm still reading, but um, have really been enjoying, you start off by defining synchronicity by introducing the influential Swiss psychiatrist Carl Jung, who coined the term and was first to explore this meaning in its connection to our human psyche and well-being. So can you help us understand better what Carl Jung discovered with his definition and meaning of synchronicity? And if you can also particularly touch on his belief that our synchronistic experiences rise from the broader collective unconscious. Yes. Well, broadly, uh, Carl Jung defined synchronicity as meaningful coincidences and they're coincidences that particularly connect our inner and outer worlds. So it's where something that happens in our everyday life that we experience, it relates very closely to our thinking, for example, what we were just thinking beforehand. For example, we were thinking of someone we hadn't seen for a long time and then encountered them very soon afterwards. But also Carl Jung described this as an a-causal connection. So he wasn't saying that because we think of something, then it makes something else happen. He was more suggesting that there was something about our inner life and the external world that is somehow synchronized, that, that these experiences could be so uncanny, they seem to go beyond chance. It doesn't mean that we've created that experience from happening, but it suggests that our our minds and our material world are much more closely connected than we often give credit for. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like then, would you say, kind of like a psychic link 
between our internal and external world to help us understand why these magic synchronicities could be happening. I think that's a very good way of putting it as a psychic link. And so I think that's also where it ties into, for example, precognition. So if someone, Mm. uh, for example, has an image of something happening and then later on it does happen, then you think, hey, wait a minute, there's more of a connection between our inner and outer worlds. And, And Jung wrote about this at one stage when he had many frequent dreams about blood pouring all through Europe. And he wondered, what's happening with these dreams I'm having about all this blood? And that was about a year before war broke out before the First World War broke out. And then he realised that, okay, maybe he wasn't going psychotic as he at first feared. Maybe there's this genuine and and real connection between sometimes something that's happening in our mind and what happens in the outside world as a kind of psychic link. Mm. And then, and all his studying of interpreting the dreams as well too, of all these kind of symbols and and, and meanings, did that lead to his work in our subconscious mind and archetypes and how that ties back into ex- also further explaining the meaning of synchronicities and how it ties the universal broader like conscious together? Yes. And in terms of dreamlike thinking, one thing that really struck me about Jung's experience is he started painting these particular designs like circles with four quadrants that nowadays we would call a mandala. But he kept on painting these for about 12 or 13 years, not knowing anything external that they connected to. And then he came across um, a a book about the I Ching, and so Mm -hmm. Chinese traditional philosophy, and he found that these, these symbols, these mandala symbols, like a circle divided into four quadrants, was just a very prominent aspect of their culture. And he thought... Well, look, this this is remarkable. I had this compelling feeling. I needed to uh, draw and paint these kind of designs. And here we see how it connects so closely with the outside world. So he started to think of this connection of like a, a collective universal unconscious, which you could consider as if we imagine that they're different continents that rise above the surface of the ocean, but they're still linked by landforms underneath, by the seabed. The seabed goes all around the world and connects every continent with every other continent. But if you look at it just from the surface looking down and you just see the land above the water, you can see all these things as disconnected. And Jung was suggesting that that's that that's how we're also unified by a collective unconscious that also links us with ancestral wisdom and ancestral ancestral memories that sometimes are more available to us in in the unconscious uh, but but sometimes our reactions or images that come up in dreams or that example of painting the mandalas it shows their aspects about human experience that are quite fundamental that link us more than we would typically realize Mm, so interesting and like and Carl Young he was would you agree he was quite controversial and a maverick also in the scientific community. I mean, at the time, because, you know, synchronicity, as you've pointed out in your book as well, too, was often seen as a mystical phenomenon and not quite so respected, you know, within the empirical science and mainstream psychology and science. So because the 
science and spirituality, and I think even for some, is really seen as two very different schools of thought and ways to relate to the world. But it wasn't until Young stayed that you know, when studying the correlation between quantum physics and synchronicity helped to kind of validate synchronicity, um, would you say? And if you can touch on that further. Yes. Now, and when we look at how Jung was maybe unconventional, it's worth considering other ways in which he was very mainstream because mm. Jung was like a main protege of Freud. And, and Freud would have recognised Jung to be perhaps the, 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 the next leader, so to speak, someone who had such a great mind as Freud recognised. Actually, it led to probably a degree of competition between them at one stage. But basically, uh, Jung, like Freud, was very much part of the mainstream of psychiatry and very influential in his time, as he has been uh, since as well, including influential for many, uh, uh, for many scientists. But certainly when Jung started to study more some of the mystical phenomenon, that did differentiate him from many of his peers. And he described his experience of going to university and I think it was in Switzerland, uh, and, and, and he noticed that the other people at university uh, seemed to have a very rational way of looking at the world, that they would be very dismissive of, for example, the folk stories of people feeling like they encountered spirits or something like that. But Jung uh, grew up in rural areas, so he was very used to these stories that were widely accepted through his community as they have been in many cultures from time immemorial through to this day where many people ex accept the notion of the influence of, of um, spirits or some kind of a mind connection one to the other. Um, so, so whereas um, uh, Jung had some unconventional ideas. They were shared by many people from many cultures, but we tend to get taught not to think like that. Uh, at university, we're taught in very rationalistic kind of ways and, and, and looking at objective evidence. But sometimes uh, people are so dismissive of anything that sounds mystical that they don't realise that Jung was also one of the most prone to objective research in his day. So, for example, when he looked at how people made free associations to different kind of ideas, he'd be using um, careful time observations and a scientific method to, to, to look at that. Also, he met with Einstein in his time, and it was partly through conversations with Einstein about the relativity of space and time it gave him more uh, ideas about the world being more fluid or, or less um, factually um, obvious as it might seem. That led Jung to think more creatively as many of the quantum physicists came to believe in mystical phenomena, including Wolfgang Pauli, one of the key pioneers of quantum physics. He was the one who convinced Jung to actually write about synchronicity. Yeah saying, hey, look, you know, uh, Carl Jung, I know you've been interested in this for decades. How about you write about it? To encourage you to write about it, I'll write something in a manuscript with you on an aligned topic. And so that's the only reason or the main reason after decades why Jung finally wrote about this topic. It's because he was so actively encouraged to by one of the greatest scientists of his time. Mm. No, that's, um, thank you for putting it that way. I mean, about how he was also 
very while unconventional, but you know, very much of the leaders and um, still very objective in um, his approach to it all. And so, but you, you know, from what I learned in your your book about the link between uh, quantum physics and synchronicity, I found it really fascinating about this theory of entanglement. So uh, can you help us understand that a little bit further and why that helps us maybe to understand that the validity and science of why synchronicity is is real. Okay, well, I'll certainly have a go at that. And it's around the theme of non-local connection. It's about how something can be linked to something else at a great distance when we don't see how there could be a link between them. And so we go back to the idea of entanglement or non-local connection And how this idea came about in physics is Einstein was surprised at some of the things that people were saying at the time about quantum physics. And there were some like unusual things that people were saying about all matter relating back to consciousness. It's almost like there's no such thing as stuff. Anything that seems material is partly an illusion. Uh, So so there are different kind of notions that came up. and, And Einstein thought that some of these ideas were starting to stretch like a little too far. And he said that if we take the implications of what some people are saying in quantum physics, that means that there would have to be a truth in non-local connections, which related to something which was called Bell's theorem. And what this means is that there should be, if what people saying in quantum physics was true, there should be a way that two particles or two tiny bits of matter, like electrons or whatever, if they came in close contact with each other, and then were separated from one end of the universe to the other, or from a great distance, then they should somehow be linked. So if something influenced one particle or electron, there'd be a corresponding um, activity in the other electron. And, um, and Einstein said, this can't be true because that would be spooky action at a distance. There's no such thing as spooky action at a distance. It can't be true. Now, lo and behold, in the 1960s and the 1970s, Bell's, Bell's theorem was proved to be true. Now, I don't know exactly how they uh, mechanically um, uh, demonstrated that, but they had like remarkable equipment that could separate out, for example, electrons at one great distance to the other, and then measure if something influenced the spin or a characteristic of one, there was an immediate complementary adjustment in the spin of the other, showing that these two separated particles were part of a twin system. In other words, there was a non-local connection between them. And so Mm. there was a spooky action at a distance, faster than the speed of light. So that kind of disproved Einstein's notion that nothing could be faster than the speed of light, or at least no no link uh, beyond that. And so this has been demonstrated several times since as well. So it's now an accepted phenomenon that entanglement is true and it supports the quantum physics, which is used to help make mobile phone technology. So it has different applications in everyday life. But the thing that strikes me is if there's non-local connections of, of, of matter, so if particles or matter can be connected instantaneously at a distance, 
then why not people's minds? Why can't it be the case as we hear a number of anecdotes, for example, that someone hurts their knee and often we hear stories of identical twins. Their identical twin across the other side of the the world suddenly gets a pain in their knee and thinking, what's this about? They They ring their twin overseas and they say, yeah, look, I just fell over and injured myself. And then the other one says, yeah, look, I had a feeling that something like that would happen. I thought it must have been something like that. So we hear many of those stories that typically get dismissed because people think, oh, no, there can't be such a thing as a non-local connection, forgetting that the theory was developed about 100 years ago about whether there was a potential for non-local connection in physics. And for the last 50 years or more, that's been proven to be true. Mm-hmm. No, see, that's um, what I found. I've heard a lot of those stories too. You reference, you know, about the twins, yes. and I, I and I have some twin friends. And growing up, I had um, you know friends that were twins as well too, and they definitely shared so many stories. I thought, and you know, for someone who was not a twin or had any twins in my direct family, I thought that oh my god, it sounds so bogus. But, you know, definitely learning more about this entanglement theory and understanding that everything in this world is energy. We're down to human. We're all sources of energy. It makes sense then that, you know, we can be connected non-local matter. And does that also then tie in a little bit about you spoke to, I learned about the term propinquity. Yes. You know, um, um, please correct me if I'm wrong about you can be thinking of somebody and then the next thing you know they they either you know call you or you see them on the street or or something like that does that also tie into this non-local connection and to entanglement theory very much so so i think that propinquity is about the most common experience of synchronicity and about 40% mm. of people would describe, 40% of people in the Western world would describe having some kinds of experience of meaningful coincidence that they think has an uncanny quality to it. It seems to go beyond chance. So it's one of the more common experiences of of mystical phenomena. And of that 40%, then many people would describe uh, that sense of propinquity, um, feeling connected with someone, like they find it happens again and again and again. It might be that they have a particular friend that they ring and their friend convincingly says, I just thought of you. I thought it was you going to ring. And the person might have first have been sceptical, but they've heard that so many times that they believe it. Or it might be someone themselves who experiences that. They just get a premonition that they, um, excuse me, <clears throat> that they might run into someone or they might have a dream of someone they haven't seen yes. for 20 years and they encounter that person in most improbable circumstances a week later and it turns out that there was a compelling reason for that person to want to meet with them even though it wasn't a conscious thought. Yeah. So you get these patterns that seem to suggest there's a meaningfulness behind it. So, you know, and this happens to me all the time, Chris, um, and I say this to my friends, I was just thinking about you. I was just thinking about calling you and they were the ones that text me or called me first. So, and it's interesting that you said it's the most common experience of synchronicities that we have. But, you know, because I, I also want to get into, you know, how we can draw on synchronicities as a way to better understand our soul's destiny and all of that too. So, when this happens to us, when, uh, you know, experiencing propinquity, 
is there is there something that we're supposed to draw from that? You know, because as you said, synchronicity is meaningful coincidence. So besides like thinking like, oh, that's so cool. Like I was just thinking about you, you know, but is there a deeper meaning that we should take away from that? I, I think so. And so at one level, what most people would say that kind of experience means to them even at the most superficial level, there's a sense of connection and a sense of connection mm-hmm. with that other person. So in some ways it can, spe- it can strengthen your relationship. You can feel there's an extra link there. So we can say that there's some positive meaning in that alone. But I think it goes deeper than that because it suggests some deeper sense of connection in life generally. And just so if we go back to the entanglement idea and as you say everything is energy like our bodies are energy everything Mm -hmm. that happens in the world is energy and the notion of entanglement starts when say particles are in direct contact with each other and then they're separated now what was the big bang the big Mm. bang was an explosion of energy where every every bit of matter was in, in that close connection, they use the term in contiguity, you know, with each other. Everything was connected at the time of the Big Bang, dispersed all over the place. And we know that notions of space and time are an illusion, but it's hard to get our head around what that means because we've got our, in a sense, our tiny brains to try and, comp- to try and comprehend these very big ideas. But we can get the sense of everything having been in contact with each other then all matter becomes dispersed, but using the principle of entanglement, then all aspects of matter should have some link back to that Big Bang. So why can't everything be connected to everything else? And that's where there were notions in quantum physics, like as Schrodinger uh, said, that all matter comes back to consciousness. It's a bit like the mystical, um, say, Vedanta scripts or mystical scripts in any religion uh, that would suggest that, uh, that that everything started with consciousness, that that might be expressed in artistic terms like in the beginning was the word, the word was God. So I suppose the word being so, sort of like a concept or an idea. So we find that, that physics maps this sense that comes through, the, through in religion as well, that everything comes back to a kind of consciousness and probably the way the whole whole world works is a kind of unfolding like a hologram, if you like. And we've got this perception of, of linear time. But deep down, there are going to be these very fundamental connections also between what's happening in my mind and the outside world. So maybe that comes out with these spooky coincidences, like, for example, the number of times that a clock stops when the owner dies, like that's a strange kind of experience that wow. Jung reported on and like Frederick the Great was one example. Um, but, but I mentioned that to colleagues in a, in a work situation at lunch one time. There were about eight colleagues around and, and one of my um, uh, uh, work colleagues said, oh, that happened to my stepfather. You know, look, um, mm-hmm. he was really attached to this clock that his friend made for him they actually put this name or symbol on the clock that was to represent the friend. And when the friend died, um, the, the, the clock stopped. Now, wow. his widow tried to get the clock going again because she wanted to keep it as an heirloom, as a reminder of her deceased husband. 
And it just, she, she replaced the batteries, nothing would happen. Then exactly one year later, on the anniversary of his death, the clock started up again. Wow. Now, those things have such a compelling impact on the person, but it leads to almost the feeling that there's a connection even beyond the grave. Absolutely. I mean, like you, there's no denying if down to that level of when you said on the anniversary of the date that the clock started working again. I mean, it sounds spooky and you've used the word and even in throughout your books. Um, but how else can you explain it? And it's just, I, another thing that I really enjoyed actually in your book, besides tying the science with synchronicity, is your insights, of course, from your years of experience and study, but the personal case studies that really set the foundation of helping us to understand and leverage synchronicities to gain deeper understanding of our soul's destiny and purpose. And you've also have said in your book and also at Dreaminar, we can kind of look at it as they are like little ticks from the universe that reminds us that we are going on a right path, which is good. Sometimes we need to be reminded, you know, so many of us live unconsciously or make unconscious decisions because we just live in a crazy busy world. And I try to practice to be a very conscious individual and more so now than ever. But if we're getting really practical, Chris, how can we enhance our mental health and gain deeper understanding of our soul purpose, or we call it, like you said in your book, uh, Damien, Dharma, however somebody wants to relate to it, to want to better understand how these synchronicities are happening in our life and to identify more of it. Okay. Well, well I might mention um, a big picture uh, thought or f- a philosophical view, if you like, and then I'll relate sure. it more practically to the science of positive psychology. Because I think bringing it back to some of the um, science at times can help or observed where it ties in with observed empirical evidence. I'll tie something back to that as well. But the, first of all, taking the, um, the overall philosophy. Now, first of all, we start off with this sense of everything being um, connected. Then there's a question of whether there can be some kind of meaning or almost a notion of design, if you like. So that's where we look at notions like fate or destiny or dharma, as you mentioned. Every culture has got some kind of notion or concept that relates to the idea of destiny. So the idea that that things are, are meant to be. And often with that, whether it be through religious beliefs or even in a secular way, like I'm, I'm one of the 30% of people in the Western world who's spiritual rather than being religious. I'm, I'm not a churchgoer, not particularly religious, but I do believe that there is an overall organising force in the universe which ties in with science and quantum physics, but I also have a sense of it broadly being benevolent. I generally have this sense that there are a number of things that can happen our, in our lives that I think are nudging, nudging us towards a more fitting future for us or a worthwhile destiny for us. Um, If I look at the experiences in my life or what I hear from my clients' lives about things that uh, tend to nudge people off their path or lead them in a different direction, usually including these what seem like random events that you look back on that might seem difficult at the time, usually they seem to have some fortuitous element, even if it doesn't seem at the time. So I'll give one uh, personal example. For me, the most auspicious date 
is the 6th of June, and particularly 6 o'clock on the 6th of June. And this partly came up because another way that people often experience synchronicity is, is numbers. Like people might look mm-hmm. at a clock and see 11-11, and they start seeing yes. that all the time, and they think, oh, my God, what's happening here? This is happening way more than chance. And that's actually a fairly common way for people to start to get interested in synchronicity or is there some kind of higher organisation in the world beyond what meets our eye? But anyway, for me, it was the uh, uh, sixes came up a lot when I was first um, dating my girlfriend who became a future wife. Now, a couple of auspicious dates Mm. on the 6th of June. One is when we got engaged and through a set of coincidences and circumstances beyond my uh, conscious will, uh, I didn't plan it this way, but we got engaged at 6 o'clock on the 6th of June. Now, six years later, there were all sorts of difficult politics in the hospital where I worked. Um, I'd, I'd um, been overseas the year before but then got caught up in a lot of politics in the hospital and I started to become depressed and I became even more depressed with these things that were happening and difficult stresses at the time. And I became so depressed, I was eventually admitted to hospital. And it was only later, because I wasn't so conscious of the time, I, was not, uh, I, didn't, I wasn't in my right mind over those weeks, but I realised later I was admitted to hospital at 6 o'clock on the 6th of June. Wow. Now, there's something about that that even I couldn't see it at the time. Even I couldn't see a positive reason at the time. I thought that I'd been a senior psychologist at the local psychiatric hospital for five years. I couldn't see any good whatsoever in having that experience of becoming depressed and being admitted to hospital myself. There was still a fair bit of stigma in those days in 1990. But there was something about the timing of that that led me to think, wait a minute, some good might come out of this. Now, it turned out I made a full recovery It was such a useful experience in my work with clients in the 30 years since to know what it was like on the inside to be severely depressed and helpless and and have to really struggle to find my own recipe for recovery, but also drawing on uh, some very good help from others to, to do so. But there's some profound things that came out of that. But another thing that came out of that, funnily enough, is it helped me deal with concerns about disapproval or stigma or what other people would think. So sometimes people have said to me, oh, look, you've had a degree of courage within your field to write about synchronicity. It might be seen to be a bit irrational or you might be taking a risk to your reputation. Well, I had no concern for that whatsoever, to tell you the truth. Because when you go through being publicly, uh, let's say, uh, or publicly known, you've been through depression, you've been in hospital a couple of times in, uh, in that year, um, then afterwards when you recover, a lot of ego-related things just don't matter as much. So uh, but particularly for my learning, for, for my work, if you like, and understanding clients going through suffering. So something that looked terrible at the time, you look back and I see how it fitted in with the pattern of my life. I now see that experience as, as part of my destiny and I can't help but feel that there was uh, also something beyond myself that contributed to nudging me in that direction. and But what I do know is me having that belief that there is this higher organising force that has a benevolent aspect to it that many people through religions might think of as God or a spirit or something like that. We can all have our ways of thinking about that. But what we do know from the, from the psychological and, and physical science is when people do have that belief, 
that you know, there is some kind of um, higher consciousness. And if we feel that we can have some faith in that to a degree, so at times I will act more confidently in a direction I'm going in if I experience synchronicity, feeling there's some kind of affirmation coming from beyond myself, like a, a tick from the universe that's worth going that direction. Then we know that's good for your well-being. And so I think that's where, and I'll talk shortly more about the science from positive psychology that describes why that would be good for your well-being. Yeah, no, I would love for you to touch on that. But I just, your story was so fascinating, Chris. And I'm just so curious um, because the number six had such a profound significance in your life as you just shared. And does the number like what does the number six like signify in numerology, or does that even have any significance and meaning in how you um, share the synchronistic aspect of it, kind of unraveling in your life? Okay, now look, I think that's a that, that's a it's a really um, worthwhile question reflecting on, and I can tell you how it went for me. First mm-hmm. of all, it was so clear that the issue of the number of six was coming up in the context of, of um, dating my girlfriend and um, even to the point where um, I had this sense that I would see a sign in the next week whether she was the right person for me. And funnily enough, um, uh, we were looking at this um, uh, matchbox. I'd been seeing the six everywhere and there were these uh Match, matches in those days called redheads matchbox and on the cover it they always had a picture of a red-headed woman well this time my wife pointed it to, to me and said look at what's in the cover of that matchbox and it was a six of hearts wow and six was so so um uh much a symbol for me and the six of hearts of all things like just for that three months they changed it into a playing card kind of marketing campaign that's why it was this, uh, that's why they had all these different cards so it could have been any of 52 cards but it was the six of hearts mm-hmm. now I'd been feeling I'd get a sign of whether my wife could relate to a spiritual side in life as well because I wasn't sure, but that was going to be important for me to uh, have the feeling of confidence in um, getting married to her. So that, you know, I had this compelling sense there'd be an affirmation of that. Now, mm-hmm. with the six coming up, I just took it personally. Look, it, it somehow relates to love. It relates to relationships. It relates to love. But I never looked up the numerology. I was never particularly, uh, never particularly looked up um, star signs or anything like that, even though I didn't um, really dismiss them. I wasn't that engaged in looking at that. Now, when I did look up numerology for uh, the first edition of my book that came out a few years earlier, I looked at all the um, 10 digits and, um, and what struck me is the only one that referred to love because it relates to Venus is the number six. Wow. And so I thought, well, <laughs> it's kind of interesting. Now, what Jung talked about doing is, first of all, you pick up the meaning of a symbol for yourself. And that was good enough for me. I had a sense of what the number six meant. It was like an affirming uh, kind of sign. It had started off in terms of my relationship, and it did help me make that life decision. And it also helped me deal with conflict afterwards when there was maybe conflict in, in our relationship, as is normal in any healthy marriage as well. To me, it would be affirming thinking, no, but deep down, like it's meant to be, it's right, you know, being in this situation, you know, just really focus on sorting things out. And that's one example of how we know if we experience our um, uh, something is sacred, like if we experience our, our job as sacred, like a calling, or if we experience our, our marriage or our relationship as sacred, 
we're more likely to have you know positive affect in that we're more likely to engage well with our partner we're going to be more resilient in the face of stress so the number six partly meant that that to me as well but it was as interesting that um, as Jung said sometimes you can take an image from a dream and you can research it for example, he looked up mythology or he looked up um, uh, stories from different cultures and, and folk tales. He looked up symbols in art and things like that. And he used the term amplification. You can amplify a message by looking at a symbol and you research it and see what it means. And so, for example, one thing that to me is an example of amplification and looking at objectively of what symbols mean, another personal example of synchronicity, is in psychology, it has the symbol representing psychology of psi, and psi is the shape of a trident. Now, Mm. when I first was writing um, uh, about synchronicity, what I wanted to relate was four different things, psychology, psychic phenomena, quantum physics, and shamanism, so ancient healing traditions. Mm -hmm. Now, I knew that Psy related to psychology, and I'd forgotten this, but um, when I was staying in the Mystic Hotel in San Francisco writing a a chapter of the book Between Conferences, I was staying at the Mystic Hotel, and I looked at the door key, and it had this symbol Psy on it. I thought, oh, yes, of course, the Mystic Hotel psychic phenomena also has the symbol psi the same as in psychology then i went to a subsequent conference and found that psi is a symbol used in quantum physics it's to do with what's called the collapse of the wave function meaning when we take you know consciousness and we observe something uh, in a particular way that makes it become more material the symbol psi is related to that in quantum physics and then also by chance, through a whole series of amazing events in um, San Francisco, I ended up at this um, art, art exhibition I wasn't intending to see, and I saw a painting by Jackson Pollock about sh- shamanic symbols, and they're prominently in the painting, in the centre of a painting, a section that was called The Secret, meaning things that you weren't meant to understand consciously. There was prominently the symbol Psy. So it also related to shamanism. So in this week, when I'm writing about trying to connect these different fields, it turns out they're all connected through symbolism. So that's like Jung's idea of amplification. You research things more and you find how symbols can come up. Now, that led me to feel that, now, wait a minute, this is too uncanny. It's it's more than chance this symbol comes up in all these areas. It must relate in some way to the human body, to something central. And I think, what would the human body look like if we adopted the posture like a, a trident? So like, say, you know, a straight line and then two sort of prongs coming out either side. It would look like a person standing with their arms upraised to the side, a bit like a preacher in front of, uh, in front of a congregation. The size symbol looks like the posture of someone connecting heaven and earth. Like that symbol, if you stand with that posture with your arms out to the side and slightly raised, then it well, it could be uh, an athlete running across the finish line of a of an Olympic event. But certainly to me, it would come across like a, a preacher in front of a congregation. It's a symbol that links the grounded connection with raising the arms towards the sky. And I think, aha, that, that that's this other theme that comes through all of life. 
connecting heaven and earth, connecting the material and the um, conceptual or mind, if you like. These are motifs that go through all of life and our rationalistic culture, our materialistic culture, tends to dismiss the psychic kind of link because it's hard to explain in, in very rational terms. But funnily enough, the rational terms that we try to explain things in are influenced by Isaac Newton and Rene Descartes. Descartes, who separated mind and body, and Newton mm-hmm. looking at um, you know, the mechanics of gravity and all the rest of it. Well, it turns out that Isaac Newton was more into alchemy than he was into physics. He wrote more about alchemy than he wrote about gravity. So mm, many people would so. consider Isaac Newton to be a real crackpot if they knew what he believed in, How? because like Jung was also interested in alchemy. It's like mixing metals to create gold. But it's partly a meditation. The metals represent different parts of one's personality. And the idea is if you get a good blend in your personality, you'll reach the philosopher's gold or wisdom. Just like if we get a good blend of our material rational understanding, but also our our intuitive understanding and be open to a transpersonal or mystical dimension in life, we'll be more rounded, we'll have more philosophical gold. And even Descartes, who's was so much to do with uh, logic separating the mind and body, his yeah. second proof was that God exists. The first thing was, I think, therefore I am. The second thing was that God exists. So people think if you're very rational, you can't believe in some transpersonal kind of belief. Well, these it wasn't just the quantum physicists who were interested in mystical beliefs. But it turns out these prominent early scientists were as well. It's just that our world became so rationalistic in our education system. It just explained all of these things away and dismissed them. And I think, and I'll I'll go into the positive psychology shortly, uh, but but I think that that's a pity because it leaves people to be less in touch with the intuitive. And as a psychologist, we certainly look to help people uh, step back from their thoughts and rationally appraise some of their thoughts about their concerns about failure or disapproval or whatever. But we also often encourage people to notice their inklings, to be open to their intuition. Often it's a very helpful guide. And certainly I see that every day in my everyday work. Absolutely. And, And I thought it was a very key point that you made about how there's so much of rational thinking in our educational system that has, you know, made, uh, you know, dismissal of these mystical, spiritual experiences that are so real. And to be quite frank, like, I wish that the education system around the world would somehow teach intuition? How can we all tap into our own intuitive gift? Because I feel like that's one of the biggest powerful tools that a human being can have in being able to hone our intuitive gift because we all have it and to to tap into it to help answer our biggest life questions. Because to me, Chris, I think besides being whatever career you're in and whatever status you're trying to create, whatever money you're trying to make, to me, I think the most important role as a human is to become the better version of yourself and continue to evolve and maybe make an impact while you're on this planet. 
Um, yeah, so if we go back to someone, um, again, around 100 years ago, William James, or even earlier than that, William James was one of the greatest psychologists, an American psychologist. And this shows how science and uh, and intuition can uh, merge well uh, t- together. Now, William James was very interested in mystical phenomena that he described as having this ineffable quality, meaning you, you can't really explain it well in words, but this noetic quality. Sometimes you know things without being able to spell out how you know them. So William James wrote a lot about that. Actually, he did a number of experiments at first with nitrous ox- oxide to help himself get in a, an alternate state of mind. But later on, he found that meditation was a more reliable way of accessing these other, other kind of states. But he was also the first psychologist to develop an experimental laboratory. He was wow. into very much scientific method, but he blended the two. And then you get someone later on like Einstein, who is such a um, genius, as we all know, from a scientific framework. It's not that he dismissed religion. Like he was understood to say God does not play dice with the universe. That implies that there is some kind of notion like a God. But Einstein uh, knew for his time it was important to step back from notions of of religion, and he he did have quite some scepticism in that area, as would be appropriate for having an objective view. But he didn't say that um, spirituality or religion was wrong. He just said it was different from science. He actually said it was good for values. You know, spirituality and religion can be good for motivation, good for motivation, good for working out your values. Just don't confuse it with science. Whereas other people would be saying that, look, life is so subjective and like the the way that we observe things and what we measure is so influenced by our values and our choices anyway. This was one of the main arguments of of, uh, Heisenberg, one of the quantum physicists, that you can't separate out consciousness from what you measure because even the very decisions you make of what kind of studies you're going to do or how you report them has an enormous amount of objective, of subjectivity to it. Yeah, yeah. So don't pretend that we can be completely objective and especially the way we view things will influence the phenomena. But I think Einstein's notion of how you know, religion or transpersonal beliefs can be uh, motivating, now this is where it ties in with the modern science of positive psychology. Because positive psychology has shown, like empirically, that there are five different pillars of well-being and anything that enhances any of these pillars will help your overall well-being, mental and physical health. So, the, What are the five pillars of so, well-being? So it's for PERMA, P-E-R-M-A. P is positive affect, like that happy feeling. E mm-hmm. is engagement, engagement in life roles and tasks. R is relationships. M mm-hmm. is meaning. And A is achievement. Now, when people experience propinquity, for example, that feeling, oh, I am connected with this person, that, that not only often gives a positive boost of feeling, the positive affect, but it helps relationships, the connection that's there. If people feel that what they're doing in their work is a calling like it's meant to be, and for me that 6th of June thing and feeling I was on the right track even though I'd been through a depression, that good would come out of it, that helped me be very engaged in my work for future. So that helped me get more engagement in my work, the E from PERMA, but also a greater sense of meaning and also achievement. 
Like when you see your goals, your, your work roles as being sacred, like your work is a calling, it helps your engagement, the meaning and achievement that you get from it. Now, the main way I get a sense of, of, of like, a, well, a very deep sense of meaning and achievement from my work and feeling it's a calling is because of synchronicity. So many things happen. I think that can't be like just by chance, including these psi symbols coming up, linking what seem to be mystical phenomena and scientific phenomena. And it just says to me, keep on going, keep on going. So we know that's motivating. And therefore, it also helps produce dopamine that helps you keep on with long-term tasks. And I notice this when I uh, hear people tell stories, even feeling connected with uh, their loved ones who've died, but feeling that there are things that happen, that they're still getting a kind of a, a, a signal or a source of encouragement from that person. That's good for their perma. They feel good when they experience that. It feels meaningful. They still feel connected to the person that they've lost. And I've known situations and written about situations where people were going through traumatic grief and in the throes of chronic depression as a result of their grief. But then they had experiences, for example, hearing the voice of a deceased mother or seeing the face, a vision of a deceased daughter. And then that transformed their sense of, of, um, uh, of connection with that person. And I believe that Oxford University did a study many years ago uh, that, that described how people having these experiences, for example, hearing the voice of someone who's deceased, it's a form of what's called hierophany. There's a word for it. It can help people feel more connected to that person and greatly help ease their sense of grief and be an ongoing source of encouragement. It helps their perma. Ah, now, now I get the, the type of positive psychology and how synchronicity can help with their well-being with your explanation to PERMA and how it relates to that. So thank you. Um, did not know that. And I actually have, um, a personal question um, because when I listen to your incredible story, personal stories of synchronicities, especially as it relates to your now wife and how that helped to understand like, your your life path, what is is this form what I'm going to ask you? What if like you keep experience with someone that's close to you that you say the same thing at the same time, like all the time. Is yes. that a form of synchronicity too? Yes, I think it is. Ah. And um, and I've known some people who are quite sceptical in different ways, but um, actually a friend's parents would be, I think, in their you know, late 70s, probably around 80 years of age, and that's been happening for them for decades. And they're not the kind of people who you'd expect to be normally very um, intuitive uh, kind of people and not, not susceptible to, if you like, flaky thinking or superstition. Now, I think that there are a couple of things with this. A number of people would say, oh, yes, but they've lived together for a long time, maybe. So that means they know each, other know each other's patterns. So it's kind of by chance that they anticipate what the other person would, would think. But it's really that um, they know the other person so well. But sometimes these things are so uncanny. Like so, sometimes it might be, you know, like they pick up on an idea that's more obscure, um, uh, but, but certainly the frequency with which at that exact second they might say something that the other person thought it, I think that shows that there's entanglement going on. There's entanglement wow. going on 
in our lives, no doubt, all the time, but we tend to not notice it so much because we screen out things that don't seem so rational or don't have such a ready explanation. So I think one of the key things with synchronicity is just being open to notice what we notice. Have an open mind. See what it means to us and see how it unfolds. And what I find you know, with psychology, I believe in science and notion of anticipating or predictions and seeing how our predictions come true. When I act on synchronicity, feeling that this compelling feeling, there's a tick from the universe that says, keep on going, keep on going. So often I find that affirmed with the consequences down the track. And many, many other people do the same. Oh, incredible, Chris. I want to ask one last question related to this. But um, so can you say that we can actually create more synchronicities, you know, because if we're looking at synchronicities, as you explained, they are signs, it can be like ticks from the universe, right? That helps us understand that we're on the right path, but and to be more open to interpreting it. But can we be on the other side of that and create more synchronicities in our life? The way I would think about that is I would still remember what Carl Jung said about it being an a-causal link. So it's not as if I just sit here and have some kind of wish and that's going to happen Mm. just that way. But I think it comes back to what you were saying earlier about everything being energy. Yes. Now, I think if we put out a certain kind of energy into the world, a certain kind of intention into the world, well, in a very rational sense, that's going to organise us to engage in in activity that might more predictably um, increase the chances that will occur. So I think that there's something about Mm -hmm. forming intentions that has a very rational aspect to it. But I can't help but think if such a thing as entanglement exists, then that means that the energy in our mind or an intention in our mind, there's no reason why it could not, in terms of entanglement, have some kind of impact on what's around us And I sometimes think of it as how chlorophyll works with plants. There's this spooky thing where it's like the path of light that reaches the cells that make chlorophyll in in a flower. The path of light, first of all, it's like it checks a myriad different um, options, all sorts of different, millions of different pathways it could take to go through these plant cells to um, to, 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 to reach this receptor to create chlorophyll in the most efficient way. Now, what it does is it runs through all these alternatives and then it picks the most efficient path. Now, that's a spooky thing that happens in quantum physics. Flowers have this built in. Well, is it possible that if we're in a certain city or whatever, that ourselves and someone else are playing out all sorts of scenarios in our mind of a pathway we could take? We could go this direction or that direction or whatever. Is it possible that some of these myriad scenarios play out. It's not like it's a completely infinite number of scenarios, but a huge number of scenarios and something locks in as a kind of pattern. Ah, this is like this person's energy connecting with that person's energy draws each other towards each other. I wonder if something like that can happen because I truly don't understand how the chlorophyll works through photosynthesis, (laughs) but I know quantum physics is involved. But I can't help but think there might be some kind of, again, spooky parallel that draws people together with psychic energy where their different pathways kind of run through different scenarios somehow with quantum physics. And then, hey, that's the one that sort of draws us with energy and then it increases the odds, it nudges the odds in our favour. Yeah. 
So I think well, that's, yeah. yeah, well, that's what was going to be my hypothesis based on understanding that we all are all energy, as you mentioned, and with the setting the intention, you know, the intentionality and consciousness plays a big role in that energy force. So kind of glad you uh, also thought so as well to help me think that we have somewhat of a play in also creating magic synchronicities in our life. Well, Chris, this has been a fascinating discussion, but I have to ask you last two questions here. One of the one of them, which are what I like to ask every one of my guests, if you can go back to your younger self, Chris, to pass on one piece of wisdom to remind him to be living fully in the present and always on his own terms, is there one piece of advice you'd like to pass on? Now, actually, it's the advice that I learned from my grandmother that I think helps for acceptance for things that happen in, in life. As she got older, towards her 80s, she had this expression that life is like a jigsaw puzzle. The longer you live, the more the jigsaw puzzle pieces fall into place. Uh, There's a delightful acceptance in that. <laughs> so to me, I'd take that kind of notion and look to say to my younger self, everything's going to be okay. The way that things turn out, it might seem terrible at the time. Things will turn out okay. Um, you know, follow your intuition, keep on going. That was beautiful from uh, what your grandmother passed on. I definitely want to reference it. I was a a great analogy in that our life is a jigsaw puzzle. And when we get older, it becomes more, it makes more sense and the puzzle comes together, right? Mm-hmm. So thank you for sharing exactly. that. I loved it. And uh, uh, lastly, importantly, Chris, because your book really, as I mentioned to you, has been fascinating. I've uh, really appreciated sharing your deep insights at Dreaminar and now through my podcast to hopefully reach more people. But if our listeners wanted to grab your book, learn more about um, this field of work that you study, that's so fascinating fascinating and positive psychology of synchronicity. Where can everyone find you and get the book? Okay, I think the best thing is to look up the book's website, which is Synchronicity Unwrapped. So synchronicityunwrapped.com.au. And I'll also mention if people are interested in mental health resources, like I work a lot with people with trauma reactions, depression, anxiety, and we have a lot on our main practice website, which is chrismackey.com.au. That's Mackey, M-A-C-K-E-Y. So for mental health resources, chrismackey.com.au. We also have a, a podcast called Psych Spiels and Silver Linings, and we'll do an edition on synchronicity in the, in the next few weeks. But, but especially synchronicityunwraps.com.au. So, and the book's available to buy on Amazon, The Positive Psychology of Synchronicity. But, yeah, thanks, thanks very much, Chris, for the opportunity of mentioning that to people as well, and I've really enjoyed being with you today. No, absolutely. I would love our listeners to definitely, if anything, grab a copy of the book because I have learned so much and, and uh, never learned yeah, so in-depth and the link with science and synchronicity together until your book. So I am grateful for that. And again, thank you so much for your time, Chris. It was a pleasure. Thanks very much, Chris. Chris really appreciated it. 
And thank you everyone for tuning in to another episode of PS Younger Self. It really means a lot to me that you're spending your time with me. So if you like this episode, please be sure to subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or just about anywhere you listen to your podcast. Leave me a review. Tell me what you think. It really helps me get more valuable content to you guys. So until next time, take care and remember to always live your life on your own terms. Thank you.